The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Happy to be joined by Dan Trelauer. Danny is with Epic Risk Management. Danny, good morning and how are you, buddy? Craig, good morning. I got an iPhone. I upgraded from an Android. Oh, so finally you're not a green text message guy. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And uh, joining us from uh, Illinois this morning is our friend Liz. Liz, like myself and Dan, is a gambler in recovery. Liz, good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, sharing your story with our audience. If I may ask, when was your last wager? Well, interestingly, my memory is not great. I can tell you the exact date. It was actually March 17th because it was St. Patrick's yep. Day, so easier to remember. Um, but it was, I think, 2010. It could have been 2011. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. One of them. Yep. Well, congratulations on either way more than a decade of recovery. That's fantastic. Very proud of that. Thank you. Uh, let's talk a little bit so we can get to know you and your backstory a little bit. Where did you grow up in the country, and what was your first kind of, you know, introduction to gambling? Well, I grew up on the East Coast in uh, central New York, and um, I got introduced to gambling real early. I, you know, my mom remarried when I was pretty young, I want to say seven or so, and married into a wonderful Italian-American family, just loving, and they fed us, and they're wonderful, and they also really enjoyed gambling, and so... Yep. You know, I would go to the bingo halls, do pull tabs. We played dollar poker all the time, and whoever had the best, like, poker hand on the serial numbers of their dollars yep. would get all the dollars. And, you know, just playing dice in the garage, and I would go to the track with my parents and help them pick the horses. So that started really early on, and I was the one who would expend whatever money I was given and come back and be like, can I have more? <laughs> so right. kind of early on I showed those signs of, like, not having the control. So at what point did you start gambling on your own or, uh, you know, with friends to the point where mm -hmm. you can look back now in your life with some clarity and yeah. try to figure out at what age you were, where you can recognize that you might have had some issues? Yeah, I, we started right when I was 21. We would start going to the casino with family uh, or with friends. And, but I'd have to go up to uh, Niagara Falls, Canada. Um, so it was no small thing. So I didn't have something really nearby, but I would go on my own. The good thing is, is I was an athlete. So I was training six days a week. I was in college on a real honor roll student every semester. So I was very, very busy working. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of time, um, but I would find myself going um, without family and kind of like sneak over the border and slink back in shame, you know. Um, and it wasn't until I moved. So, uh, well, one, I had a career-ending injury, which was devastating. And what and type of uh, athlete were you? I was an amateur boxer. Got it. Um, and I uh, really did very well. I was the Pennsylvania state champion. Awesome. I went on to win the national championship. Um, so do you just have curiosity, you know, yeah. one, there's, a, there's some commonality amongst, you know, athletes at that level, college and above, right. where there's a drive and a competitive spirit that a lot of yeah. people just don't have or can't match. Right. And I'm wondering if you look back and say that you kind of treated your gambling with that same level of competitive spirit that you treated training to be a boxer. 
A hundred percent. So, you know, if you looked at me, you would say, you were a boxer, you were a champion boxer. I had this intensity and this ferocity that could come out and when needed. And I kind of learned all I have to do is just like will it to happen. And just like, I mean, I had an 80% knockout rate. I was ferocious. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, you take that to the poker table and it just doesn't equate. You can't be ferocious and, and intense and when it doesn't translate but you just you have this sense of yourself of somebody that can overcome anything and you know i have just had this personality of tell me i can't do it i'm not only going to do it i'm going to win it right know? which doesn't which doesn't uh jive well no. with losing uh you know in gambling because the ego kicks in and the competitive spirit kicks in yeah. right danny where it's now you're not going to beat me so I'm going to go to the ATM and take out more money or get a loan and right. get more money because I'm going to show you that I'm going to beat you. Right. Yeah, I'm not a ego. loser. <laughs> That's right. That ego kicks in, and it's that competitive drive. And, you know, having had the chance to get to know Liz, and I've known Liz for, for several years, and, just, you know, she, she underestimates, Greg, how, how high level she was boxing, you know, making it to the Olympic ranks. You know, that type of, like, that type of competitive spirit and that type of drive is only for the elite athletes. Right. And you all of a sudden, it's like, I will translate this. Because you carry those personality traits into other areas of your life, including the gambling. So all of a sudden, everything we do is competitive, drive, that fear of failure that motivates us and gets us up in the morning. We, we think we can apply it there, but it just doesn't work in the world of gambling. Not at all. So how old were you when you look back on it where gambling became omnipresent for you and became more important to you than whether it was a job, your studies, uh, boxing, or you're just about anything else. Well, I my and my injury ended my career in 1998, and then shortly after that, we moved to Illinois, and so kind of all of that happened at the same time. And it's really around 2000 that not only am I in a place where I have casinos much closer by, I'm not crossing a border. Um, but I lost my career, and I also lost my stepfather, who was so important to me, and he died very young, age 46. And then not only did I have this loss, all my family moved back east, further east. And so here I am. I'm practically alone, have zero accountability for my time or for my money. I'm grieving. I'm very close to casinos, and that's when I, you know, would find myself spending far too much time, far too much money, hiding, you know, um, staying until they closed, because back then they actually closed for right. a brief period of time. Um, and so that's when that all came about. You know, it's funny you say that. I remember going to uh, the Atlantis in the Bahamas, where I had a lot of success playing blackjack. And, you know, there was that point in the night at, like, I think it was 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. where they closed the casino down for two hours. Mm-hmm. From four to six, you can't gamble there because they vacuum, they clean. Right. You know, they you know they do all their your chip counts, their cash counts, and all that stuff. And I remember making a big stink the last time I was there that, no, 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 I'm a high roller gambler. You've got to keep that private room open. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and, and they did uh, because uh-huh. that even just two hours at four o'clock in the morning when I should have been in bed sleeping, mm-hmm. I would pace around. You know, until they opened up a private room for me because I couldn't fathom not gambling for those two hours. Right. I hated it. And, and looking yeah. back on it, it's like, it's go to bed, thing. dude, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that closure is important because it can be the only thing that interrupts an episode for some people. So walk me through 
an example of a bad day gambling for you, the amount of hours you would spend. And I apologize for not asking, what was your game of choice? I played poker, so I played like three-card poker or Caribbean stud mostly. So you played the, like two of the games that you have the least chance of winning in the entire casino. <laughs> that fascinates me. And it's funny. You know what's funny is on one of your prior ones, I think it was the most recent one, they, they talked about having a mathematical brain and all yeah. that. Yeah. Like, do not at all. <laughs> so, yeah, like it's so funny though. Player. Like you think at some point you would have picked the game, just you know, basic odds would have right. given you a better chance of winning. Like three card right. poker is one of the worst games for the player in the entire casino. Right. Oh, and you know what I would do is when when I would be down too much, I would go to blackjack table and get it back up a couple hundred bucks because right. I was better at yep. that. But I didn't yep. enjoy it. It didn't for some reason. It didn't. Yep. It was like that. That turning of the cards and what am I going to have better than what the, the so, has. Yeah. As you, uh, you know, progress in life and gambling is still a big part of your life. And I, if it's too personal, you know, please stop me for sure. Uh, relationships, marriage, any of that stuff. Did you enjoy any of those types of things or did you kind of stay, you know, uh, to yourself and not experience you know, what we would call, quote-unquote, normal kind of like social experiences. Well, I, I would say, you know, like they have functioning alcoholic. I would say it was a functioning, a functioning compulsive gambler because I my work was never affected, but I never was in that um, realm of having the the obligations at home until I ended up getting married and becoming a mother because, you know, he came into the marriage with a, a, an infant. Right. And that was honestly what interrupted my gambling. That's when I actually realized what I had been doing. So um, that was in 2009. Got and it. So right up until then, it was just like nobody really knew about it. People knew I enjoyed gambling. They thought I was good at it. Um, very few people ever saw because they I would go, go by myself, you know, and right. so and very that, few that, people knew that. Dan, that's the big misconception. You know, we we talk all the time that gambling is supposed to be a fun social activity with friends. You know, when done in a healthy manner. And the yeah. reality for all of us is that when we are gambling, we want anything but that. We want to be alone. Yeah, it's the isolative. It's the isolation piece, right? There's a number of like I remember when I would gamble with my friends when I was in action, and I just gambled differently when I was with them. Right. And I almost wouldn't gamble at all. Like I would go with twenty dollars. You know, I, I'm trying to put on this facade that I'm a totally different person. But when everyone else would then want to go to the club or go get more drinks, I would stay behind. Then I could really start my gambling. That's how I viewed it. So it's just like Jekyll and Hyde kind of mentality that you hide from the rest because you don't want anyone to know. You know, this is a private thing. I don't want anyone to know the, the secrets. I want to wear that mask. I, I want to hide that pain and that suffering. And then once they're not around, then I can really start to gamble. And, Liz, you said something that I laugh at because from time to time I would dabble in three-card or some of these, these silly games, but I would always go back to blackjack because I had this sense about me that I could make money there and then I'd up the bankroll and then go back and play these other games where I would just throw it all away. It, it's yep. a crazy mentality when you think about it. It really is. It really is. And and like you said, um, you know, I would say not relationships but work because I'm an addictions counselor. So talk about wow. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Here I am during the day helping people seek recovery from drugs and alcohol and, and then <laughs> closing down the casino at night. And I didn't see it. I knew I should know better. I don't drink. I don't use drugs. I, I lost a parent to alcoholism, so I'm so averse to addiction. Huh. And I was I was doing it. 
And you didn't, and you didn't, didn't see <laughs> any of that in yourself. That fascinates no. me. We're going to take a very and quick break. I, yeah. uh, and then we'll continue on with Liz and, of course, sure. Dan. It's Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. We have Dan Trelauer, of course, Epic Risk Management, and Liz from Illinois is nice enough to share her story. Liz, only because, you know, we've, you know, certain time constraints, if you don't mind sharing, what was your, you know, bottom of the barrel moment? Uh, where you uh, had that kind of, for lack of any better term, come to Jesus uh, life experience that made you recognize, not only do I have a problem, but I'm willing to go get help for it. Well, um, what had happened was, like I said, I had gotten married, and my husband thought I was just like a fun, good gambler because I had you know, gone with him and won and paid for a trip and everything like that. Um, but we used to go to the casino on my comps and go get you know, the buffet and everything over and over and over. And after going there so many times, my husband turned and looked at me, and he goes, uh, how much do you gamble? And, and it hit me. Like, that's the thing. It's so strange. That's what hit me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what? what I had seen with alcoholism growing up and everything, all of this, this is what I was doing. And so that hit me and I didn't stop immediately, but pretty quickly after that, because then I was like, okay, that's all right. I freaked out. I was like, it's okay. You can just do it responsibly. And guess what I learned? Not only can I not, but this was for me much more, much stronger. Not that I can't gamble responsibly because I know I can't, that I don't want to because it was not fun. Yeah, those are two different things. People need to understand that difference. There's a big difference between, you know, recognizing that you can't, uh, which is a a great accomplishment because once you get to that point, at least in my experience, it makes it a lot easier not to. Right. And then that further point for me realizing, like, I don't even want to because it not fun for me. The way I want to do it is I want to be there in that seat, not even get up to go to the bathroom until there's a deck change, you know, go keep hitting the ATM. You know, that's the way that I was accustomed to playing and to, to, you know, I had that on March 17th was when I sat down and lost like a hundred bucks on three hands. And my husband's like, Oh gosh, all right, let's go. And it was, it, it was physically like, painful to get up and leave and that was the moment that i said not only can i not do this i don't want to because it sucks <laughs> so, you were like get up and go i'm just getting yeah. started right i'm yeah. i'm going to lose yeah. a lot more of our money don't worry right. yeah it's yeah. funny what you said there about uh your husband asking you you know how much do you wager that we just got the free this the free that oh, boy right. i had that same exact experience you because know, my loved ones were so in the dark about my gambling and I remember once, you know, when I went to, um, to Bimini, which is the uh, east, the westernmost island of the Bahamas, it's about 45 minutes uh, east of Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. And I'm not, no exaggeration, they sent a reconfigured uh, 737 jet. All right. So literally, I could have brought 150 people with me. Mm-hmm. And I remember a loved one who came with me on the trip, said to me, how much do you gamble that they sent you a 737 jet? And I'm like, yeah, it's, I go, it's more about me being on the radio and TV. You know, they want me down there, that kind of thing. You know, I had an answer right. for it. And then, you know, looking back on it, yeah, you know, they don't send 737. You know, that's, it's like a commercial airline right. uh, that they had bought and, you know, refabbed, you know, to make it like a cool kind of party plane. And... Yeah, and then, oh, you have three houses on the beach, 
Well, they don't just give that to anybody. And right. there was, it was what was, and I'm saying that not to, you know to um, to glorify. I'm saying it because it's ugly and disgusting. Um, but it was it, it fed my ego. You know, right. that, yeah, I'm able to get all this stuff, and, hey, dinner is for free, and, hey, you know, all, all that nonsensical stuff looking back on it, that the end of the day didn't mean a damn thing. Um, right. But in the time, yeah. it meant everything. Right, yeah, and, it, you know, when, like I said, I lost my career. I was, I was, up, I was about to turn pro, and, um, you know, I had been in, on TV and in magazines. I was in, in Playboy, believe it or not, fully clothed in my boxing outfit. But, you know, to go from that to nothing, and then you feel... I felt powerful. I felt like somebody. I felt important when I was, you know, in action. And so I think a lot of people have that experience where they don't feel like anybody except when they're playing, when they're in action. And that's a very misleading feeling. So just out of curiosity, uh, in the moment, did you miss boxing more or gambling more? Mm. Well, it's hard to say. I don't miss uh, gambling at all. I still get in the ring. (laughs) I shouldn't. I'm almost yeah. Oh, do you? Well, so, you, know, you should yeah. know this. You know, arguably the greatest women's boxer of all time, Amanda Serrano, uh-huh. uh, is a um, uh, a liaison with me with uh, FanDuel for responsible gambling because she had a loved one who fell prey to gambling addiction, and she's now an added powerful voice uh, uh-huh. for folks like us. So you should know that. Wow, that's very cool. And so, yeah, I, I think I miss them both in different ways, and I'm so grateful that I don't miss gambling at all now. And let me uh, ask you to share with uh, young men and women who might be listening to this show now that are you know just getting started, recognizing that they may have a problem and it's overwhelming and they're not sure what to do, who to call, how to get help. They know they've got a problem, but you know it's so uh, daunting that they can't imagine living life without gambling. Right. And they think their problems are too much and the walls are caving in financially, emotionally, all that stuff. Right. You know, that it will be okay, can be okay. Like, what do you say to young people uh, that are just recognizing they have a problem? This, today is their day one and they can't fathom 10 years or even a month right. from today. What do you say to them? I would say it's never too early to to talk to somebody because, you know, there are some people who probably have it in them to do it in a different way, but they don't know how. I mean, nobody knows, like, what is responsible gaming? Nobody talks about that. We we don't even talk about what responsible drinking is, yet, you know, it's so present in our lives. So I think, you know, talking to somebody early, I would say talk about it before you even start gambling. But um, looking at it and know that whatever your choices are, to constantly revisit them because if you even are gambling in a controlled way, things change in your life you know you have a loss you have a medical condition you know it's not something that's for everybody at all points in their life and i would also say it's never too late for those people who feel like it's too late it never is um it's never too late please reach out you know 1-800-GAMBLERS the the nationwide helpline now and um just talk to somebody and you're not foolish you're not stupid um you're not weak you're not irresponsible there's just something that's you know, maybe it's gambling is just not for you. You know, what whatever you're wired or your pre-existing conditions or anything, um, there's not something necessarily, you know, wrong with you. It's just all the factors that led up to it. Talk yep. to somebody. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, it's, it's a real pleasure and privilege to talk to you. I'm glad you're doing so well. You're more than 10 years in recovery. I'm glad you're still getting a square circle and mix it up, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that must be uh, cathartic and, uh, yeah. <laughs> for you. Uh, yeah. And I really appreciate you sharing your story. And uh, if I can ever return the favor, just ask. And I look forward to meeting you one day soon, too. Yes, thank you so much. All right, take care. Have a great weekend.
You do. Yeah, one of the things I think people do need to understand is, you know, going to GA, going to a therapist, you know, is not a cure-all. Um, nobody can make you stop gambling. You have to decide you want to stop gambling. And all the amazing therapists and professionals that are out there that are willing to hold your hand and walk through the process to get you to a place where you can live and function without gambling and without gambling be the focus of your entire life, they all exist, but it starts with you. And until you're ready to own it, acknowledge it, and live your life without gambling, there's not a therapist in the world that can make that happen. And you do need to know as well that there's also very little success in going cold turkey. There are setbacks. And setbacks don't mean you failed. Setbacks mean that you have a real problem. And it's okay. And day one can start again tomorrow or later today. Uh, and while it's frustrating for sure, and there's some shame involved in that, which I totally respect and understand, I've lived it, Dan's lived it. Uh, yep. don't, get, don't, don't get too down on yourself if you've gone a couple weeks and you're feeling good, and for whatever the reason is, you have a setback. That's part of life. It's part of you know, maturing. It's part of conquering a demon, which is what gambling is for a lot of us. So just recognize that you, you can't take a pill and stop gambling. You have to decide in your heart, in your soul, in your mind that you don't want to gamble anymore and that you're willing to do whatever it takes to stay clear of gambling. And that may mean losing some friendships. It may mean not going out as often. And it may be you know, things that you're not comfortable doing right now. But you have my word that if you dedicate yourself to it, you can get to 10 years, 4 years, 3 months, 30 years, a lifetime without gambling, but you got to decide that that's what you want to do and how you want to live your life. And I would just, I would end it on that. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And thank you so much for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.